0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Corks Talks. I talk about anything and everything of interest to me that could be political, economic, social, technological, legal, environmental, ethical, cultural. you name it, I'll speak about it. And today's episode is um, I think a mixture of things because I've had a quite a jam-packed weekend um, okay, a couple of days ago. I came down with like the worst kind of flu. I mean, I was, I was distraught. I mean, I was stressed because, you know, deadlines. And um, obviously that has an impact on my nervous system, nervous system, immune system. But I was the whole works of, you know, red eyes, lethargic, runny nose, extremely sore throat, producing mucus, dizzy, fatigued couldn't keep anything down couldn't taste anything i mean i've only just read the symptoms of the delta variant of covid and i'm like fam i would be surprised if i didn't have it like because i don't know how you get a flu in the middle of summer or not the middle but the beginning of summer and like they said it's very highly transmissible but i've dealt with it either way um and Yeah, I've just moved forward, but still, despite these symptoms, I was so eager to get back to normal after this week, after last week, because last week was extremely busy for me. So I went to see a friend on Friday night, and then on Saturday morning, I went for like a walk, really long walk, and then I went to a theatre that evening, and then the next morning, I was preparing to go to an exhibition at the Serpentine Gallery And um, for Sunday evening, I just watched the final episodes of one of my favourite series, Lupin. And I have had, like, a fantastic weekend. I realise when I'm busy, I feel my best. Being productive is such an illustrious feeling for me. Um, It helps abate my anxiety and fear. It makes me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile, because otherwise you just kind of sit in your melancholy, but... I've also run out of money. Your girls run out of money. So I ain't going to be doing any more events until probably at least I get paid again. But I liked that I was able to spend as much as I did to enjoy myself because I had a variety of events that I went to um, just to give myself a sense of purpose again, you know. Beyond the careers that we do, beyond the work, that we study I always want to say like who am I and what can I achieve and um taking in arts and culture is a big thing for me so just to be specific as to what I saw I saw um a play at Theatre Royal Stratford East and that's actually um a a theatre that was very close to my secondary school but I don't remember going there when I was in school i'm sure i went but i just can't remember what we watched but i recently went there again um, to watch walls and crosses which i really 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 enjoyed and um i i think it's going to become my new staple because i like the productions that they do and um this recent production was a last minute watch i was just keen because i was like I'm very aware that it was ending 19th of June. I didn't even read the description, but I was convinced by the trailer and I wasn't even paying that much attention to the trailer. Sometimes I'll just see a few optics and I'm like, okay, I'm convinced we me buy it. So it is a one hour, I wouldn't say monologue, I would say one hour experience of a young lady called Femi, whose brother has been killed. Essentially, and she is going through the motions of what it is to navigate grief. And it was a deliberate piece; it was individual. It was in one space, so you get this stage that is supposed to be a room, but also becomes a court room and also becomes a club. So it was like this transformative space with very little props. It was just a chair for the most part that she would move about in the scene and on the walls there were like these sideways crosses I felt like they were sideways crosses and um what's happening is that Femi is being visited by her brother um as a ghostly apparition because he died and was actually killed in a racist attack and she's going through the motions of accepting it and trying to heal from it. And what it showed me was that there were many stages of grief. I think a lot of people expect people to respond in one way to grief. But for her, it was actually a very typical, very typical encapsulation of what we call the angry black woman stereotype. Because she was fiercely annoyed, like angry at everyone and anything. The friend that was with him that was actually his girlfriend, she was annoyed with her. She was annoyed with the aggressors who did it. She was annoyed with the court system. She wasn't annoyed with her parents. Her parents passed away before uh, these murders happened, this murder happened. And that's what she classifies it as a murder as opposed to a manslaughter, which is what the killers have been charged with. And what was interesting is that it started very poetic. You know, what do you do when you see a man at the end of your bed? And you wonder, okay, what are these rhetorical questions trying to inspire in me as a, as a watcher? And it becomes clear very soon how much she loved her brother, that familial sense of of love. It's not something that's often explored in, you know, film or literature. We are often so devoted to the romantic love, but we see Femi draw upon her Yoruba nigerian heritage and speak about her being the the them being the the Kehinde to each other's Taiwo which is like a phrase, um, which is I guess like the Adam to your Eve that we would see in romantic context and Kehinde and Taiwo are twins in Nigerian Yoruba culture. So you get this boy girl fraternal connection and um her brother, Xion, which is which is obviously something that I have to pronounce properly because Shion. Is not Sean, which is what we know many Sean's name themselves as in um, English society or Western society, because it's harder for most people to pronounce Sean. But every time Femi said her brother's name, it was emphatic and it was clear and it was in it, it was precise, and I loved that because even the sound of the name, it, it it's like it activates a different area of the tongue. Sean is a surface surface, but Sean is very deliberate. It reminds me of, like, Walsh Shear's poem about how I don't trust anyone who can't pronounce my name. Like, it's this idea of commanding the whole use of tongue to enunciate and say someone's name. And there was a point during the play where she mentioned that, like, Sean, when he was being greeted by his girlfriend who was white, her family, they pronounced his name as Sean. You know? And, um... It was like a constant a constant battle for acceptance in what we see now for many people of one black guy trying to be accepted by his white girlfriend, um, white girlfriend's family, white girlfriend's setting. From what I believe, the story is a case. I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't, I think, I don't even think the story was actually that significant. Ironically, I wasn't even so concerned about the racism of the attack. I was completely and utterly focused on Femi's tra- traversing the emotions because it really was an exploration of a girl who was self-medicating, you know, popping pills, drinking alcohol, clubbing, but also being very angry and very frustrated. And I guess it kind of showed the extent to which not only grief and bereavement, but loneliness can really Damage a psyche because we get Femi behaving very emphatically. There were very few moments. There were moments where she was able to sit down and cry and be spotlighted, but there was a lot of movement, chaos, I guess, reflective of what was going on in her mind in response to what she had just experienced. But there was a clear focus on her not having anyone to lean on and there was a point where she broke down and was explaining how she just wanted to be loved and it it really hit me you know a black woman asking to be loved that's such a simple request for some people that they get granted but for her it felt impossible and her characterization was so significant to this because not only was it that not only was it that justified angry black woman response that we see, it was also her being so unapologetically Nigerian, Yoruba, and so unapologetically London-based. Like, she has her braids that are down to her bum. She has her pink bomber jacket. She has her cropped hoodie. She has her belly button pierced stomach. And she has these... Joggers, and it was very. It felt very much like you know, the the male image that we see in popular culture of black men put on a woman, but it was so authentic because we know these women exist. But I guess historically, when it comes to black women on screen, especially with hypersexualization of the black woman, we often see them in very feminine, feminine items of clothing. So you've got your skirts and your boob tubes. But this was a woman who was built strong, but authentically black and didn't necessarily have to hide her or or, or, um, express her femininity in such an overt way. We knew her femininity from how she spoke about caring for her brother. We knew her femininity from how angry she was about her brother's death you know and it's funny because it's a topic that I kind of wanted to write about in my own novel and um it gave me food for thought as to how to execute that better the 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 the, the manner of projection that Femi portrayed was a lot to digest it, you feel like it's misguided anger but you know it's rightfully placed it got to a point where she was like there's no justice that can bring my brother back I just want her his aggressors dead you know like them getting a them getting a sentence was 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 the, was the, was the luck was the good part when they would have to deal with her that was the comeuppance it was this a desire to be feared that Obviously came from a very broken place, but she doesn't enter the therapy session like we often see in lots of shows and movies nowadays of black women going to counsellors or friends. It was completely and purely alone. It was a woman who had deserted everyone around her for the sake of her brother and for her brother to come up to her in ghostly apparitions and try to calm her down like, Sis, forgive your friend, she didn't do anything wrong. Sis, relax says ain't that deep, tells you how inflated her anger and frustration was. I guess it kind of felt like a betrayal for her brother to die, because who was she to love now, you know? And I liked it. I liked it from beginning to end. Deepo barua Iti is the writer and he did a fantastic job in making sure, firstly, that the person who starred, her name is Kibong Tanji, the person who starred as Femi was on the nose and brilliant with her expression, but the whole thing from beginning to end was a delight to watch. There were moments of humour that you would never expect in a play about death, you know, but they were executed expertly well from the pauses and the dramatic sighs and the silences. I read a Guardian reviewer basically, it was like, I think gave it three or four stars saying that um, there wasn't enough silence in it. But I think that was the point. I don't think there was an opportunity for the audience to absorb and settle in these emotions because this is not what was going on In Femi's mind. Femi's mind was constantly moving. When she was at the courtroom. She was on the bus. And when she was on the bus, she was at the aggressor's house. And if not the aggressor's house, then she was at home. It was a constant transportation. And that was how fast her mind was moving. And I was sensitive to that. Knowing what um, bereavement can do to a person, having dealt with it myself. That grief will have you trying to run a mile a minute and you can't slow down. I've been more productive in the past couple of days slash weeks after hearing about deaths than I've been in my entire life because I have the desire to keep moving because it's like the life I have left, I don't even know how much I have. I think mine is more like a fear of death, whereas hers was like a fear of not getting justice, you know? racism as the centre point, it's funny because if someone would have said, okay, what's this about? I wouldn't even think of the racism that her brother faced as a focal point. I would just see it as like the unbinding of the black woman's mind. Like it could have been a Tyler Perry movie, but it's better Like in the sense that the focus on the black woman not knowing how to reconcile her brother's death with her current reality was what this was about. And we saw a few influences to this sun, moon, stars reference. Um, That that supernatural element didn't really come too strong through though. Like, it was this idea that she wanted to be... She wanted to be near the sun. And her brother... And was with their dead parents. In some way, maybe he was already there. And in the end, you see an explosion of stars. So you know that he was always there. But this moon is like, I think that's where the conflict was. Who was the moon? Was it Lexi? Lexi was the best friend. Was it Femi? Did Femi want to be Lexi? At one point, she paints her face white with red lipstick already on her face. And it's like she wants to be her brother's love. Like, because her brother loves the friend so much. It's this contorted form of love that is not often explored, but I enjoyed. And um, it very much complemented the James Barnor exhibition that I visited the day after. Because that also included many images or a few images of young black girls like protecting and holding on to their brothers, younger brothers and it was like emblematic of how often African girls are taught to baby their brothers like like surrogate mums as early as possible and then that exhibition I attended by the way at the Sabatine Gallery it's called A Retrospective was fantastic really 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 enjoyed it I really like James Barnwell's photography I like his air as well. Like I like how I I like how almost reclusive he is because you don't really know much about him. I don't think anyone like that I know personally knows of him. To be honest, most people I know don't know any photographers, but he is particularly unseen. And um, towards the end of the exhibition, you know, there's always a wall with everybody's names thanking them for contributions, patrons, sponsors, etc. And um, it was mentioned that some of the trustees for the Serpentine Gallery include Lynette Yadon-Brachie, Sir David Ajay, and I think there was somebody else. My mind's just gone blank, another Ghanaian person. And it just makes me realise that, you know, because sometimes we get really, I don't know, what's the word? Really blase about diversity. I I think it's such an overused term but I think this was an example of how a 91-year-old man was given his just due probably because these trustees who were of Ghanaian heritage understood the contribution he made to British and Ghanaian culture with his photography and put his name in the mix and I think personally that was quite, that was that was fantastic I think that was the proof that we needed in seeing that a man of 91 they just remind me of Cicely Tyson and so many other older black people who don't get their just dues and when they do they're so old and you're lucky if they're still alive because one thing about this country and this world it's fickle especially when it comes to black excellence it's fickle but James Bond was such a humble guy and I don't know how these politics go on behind the art scene but I know that I have a feeling that David and Lynette had something to do with Making sure that he got his acknowledgement, and seeing his work go from you know monochrome black and white to delightful colour was 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 a lovely experience. It was like stepping into the modern world because you know black and white automatically dates images, but colour makes everything feel fresher. And these images of these Ghanaian women were stunning, like absolutely beautiful. Like, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. There was a segment of girls that were, like, drama girls. There were um, models. But there were also just regular Ghanaian girls. Like, normal um, people attending weddings, sitting around in their homes, just relaxing. He really was able to capture black people in their various elements. And, of course, he managed to get pictures of people like Muhammad Ali and um, Kwame and Krummer, so he knows how to picture also big names but exquisite 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 painter sorry painter photographer my mind has just gone to another artist who used gelatine silver print from what I read and was trained at like Rochester, Rochester art school there were some images that he had taken in Kent and Balam and like just like different areas of England, not just London, you know. Um, so it goes to show how international he is. Of course, he did pictures of Accra, um, documenting the Gaamancy and festivals for Ga people, which is often a rarity because so much focuses on Ashanti peoples. But I believe James Barnard is of Ga heritage, and so he made sure to include that. There were so many images that i was just so like i felt really blessed to see i really enjoyed looking at them and galleries for me are just always a nice escape to just walk through and learn more about someone's artistry for taking an hour or so to really find out about that is always a great thing for me although i accept that other people probably find it extremely boring i enjoy it a lot and as I've gotten older, I've come to really look forward to those moments of silence and exploration. And I'm looking forward to keep going and um, find more exhibitions to attend. His first studio was named Ever Young. And I thought that was so ironic, considering the man is literally 91 years of age. Bless his heart. And he's been around for so long producing this imagery. and has a very like low key life. I didn't know he had a kid until I saw one of the images that said James Barn's son being admired by like these three different women. It was so cute. It was so cute. It was like, oh, you're breaking my heart. Like, why isn't this man everywhere? Why isn't this man everywhere? But oh wow, he's ninety two now. It's not even just ninety one, he's ninety two. He's guys like this, you just want them to live forever. Like Oh, such a sweetheart. And his family are, like, photographers. Like, he comes from a family of photographers. And I've always said I feel like a lot of Ghanaian men have a knack for creativity. Something in the blood where they have this desire to speak of themselves and express themselves as they are. And um, I love that. I love that expression. There was even a part where... There was even a few images where, like, he had his relatives holding, like, these this ball that had the phrase Agfa Gaviet on it. It's like a company, I think, to do with, like, images. And there was always these really curious European elements in, like, African images. That juxtaposition was always really incredible to see, um, considering we know that in the in the history of colonialism, how common that was. But just to see it so out there was was startling. And I'm so glad I got to attend it. I took so many images. I filmed so much. I hope to basically put them on YouTube, but not too much because I feel like people should go and see it themselves, but definitely enough that people will want to see it. I feel like we don't give our artists enough love, even though every time you put a picture up on Instagram, you're basically doing what the photographers of the olden times did. Um... You're making moments, and James Barmore has been doing it for over 60 years. We really need to honour his name. So, I really enjoyed that. And I also really enjoyed the second season of Lupin. Uh, At the beginning, I was not going to lie. I was like, oh, this is not going to live up to the expectations of the first season. The first season was kind of throwing you straight into the mystery immediately. But the second season was so... Like it took a longer time to burn, but I really, really enjoyed it. Like every time I found out something that I thought I had figured out earlier, and then I found out I didn't know it, that really made me happy. I'm always happy not to know something. I feel like so much in the world. Google, you know, and Sandy Thorne in that Irish I Was A Punk Rocker songs, she she has a line about, I just missed the days where we didn't know everything. Like, yeah, I feel like Google will tell me everything. It's so boring. But this is new, this is innovative, this is interesting. Uh looping for apparently the French community is not that interesting because they 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 grow up on these stories. I guess the same way what do Brits grow up on? Like what what mascot figure of the UK is known for being like a trickster? Funnily enough, probably it's the spider Nancy, which is a Ghanaian story anyway. But I'm just thinking, like, what other stories are there? I mean, there's Robin Hood, right? That's all I can think of. We don't really have an in, an individual like that, but Arsène Lupin, that's the name of the figure that the show is named after, is very much a popular face and name in 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 the in France. So I imagine it's not that interesting for them, but for the international community, hell yeah. I don't even know, like, I've always loved magician shows. I liked the Derren Brown. I thought he was, like, really interesting. And then there was that TV show, not TV show, movie, Now You See Me. I I like those kind of things whereby you can't trust what you're reading or watching. You know? And, um... Lupin does that well. It's not Lupin. It's Lupin does that well, and I think the fact that they incorporate Omar Sy, who is from the movie Untouchables, but that's where I know him from. He's such a like, he's very much your Idris Elba. Like I don't wanna, I don't wanna archetype him like that. But he he just gives me gentle giant vibes. You know, he's like this six foot four, dark dark-skinned black man, and typically you're gonna see him in violent roles in films, but. He does play like a thief in this, but it's a thief. It's just it's a thief that's worthy of applause, which is funny, right? Because it's literally how it works in real life, whereby you know, guys that hack cryptocurrency and make hundreds of thousands are considered saints, but black people that still bread from local shops to feed their kids are sinners you know so it was interesting and the whole point of the story being a miscarriage of justice due to his father being framed for a crime he did not commit very much reminded me of the sun the moon the stars again this idea of like black people are constantly being shafted by the the justice system and Where do we get our true justice? He takes upon himself very much like Femi took upon herself to essentially become a woman of her, uh, a woman who had gotten rightful justice for her brother. Again, it's that familial connection. I even like the fact that Lupin didn't focus on again romance. I feel like I'm not really drawn into the romance storylines at all anymore. they're not reliable or realistic to me maybe they're just not healthy but these family stories I really enjoy people doing stuff for a brother a sister a father a mother these really intrigue me personally and um I hope to continue watching shows like this and experiencing arts and culture like this I had a really fun time walking through Kensington Gardens and seeing all these different people and the sun was beating down. I had to sit down for like 30 minutes just to get my breath back because I was walking a lot. But my god, the heat was a lot. And funnily enough, I actually saw another exhibition that I've been meaning to go to called Van Gogh Alive that was right there at Kensington Gardens. And I was like, oh, okay, so I can come here later because I was intending to. But when it said Kensington Gardens, I was like, where the hell is that? Because you know I me, mean? I'm not really out here like that. I just go to local stuff, all the things I know, like South Bank Barbican. I've been to Serpentine Gallery before for Faith Ringgold's exhibition, but, like, that was a one-time thing, and I took a different route. I took a different route, and basically that was enough for me to get to where I needed to be. And from there, moving forward, I was like to myself, okay, now I'm going to go to like, these galleries all the time. So now I've been to Tate... Um, I even forget which Tate it was. I think it was Tate Modern. I was at Tate Modern for Lynette Yadon Brownche's exhibition, and that was very next. That was like literally right next to the University of Arts of London, which is where I've been before as well to see Claudia Rankin for the Art of a Conversation, and then Serpentine Galleries where I saw the Faith Ringgold exhibition and James Barnall's exhibition, and Southbank Centre is where. I saw Chimamanda and Gozi Adichie. Barbican Centre is where I saw Toyin the Toller. I just see different people, and they tend to be quite local. I've noticed so many things are, like, in spitting distance of one another. And I don't know. Am I actually supposed to know how, like, to get to different places in the city? Like, should I just know offhand? Because I'm always going to check my Google Maps, like, regardless. Until I can get these, like, memorised to the back of my mind, I'm probably always going to, like... I'm not going to be rehearsed in my understanding of arts and culture in terms of culture and arts venues. But I've also been to the Bernie Grant Art Centre. I've been to quite a few, but there's so many more. I feel like when people think I've been to a lot, I'm like, there's a lot more. I saw the Royal Albert Hall in front of Kensington Garden. I thought that was cute because opposite it, there's a statue, and I'm assuming that's Albert himself. And it was also bringing back the memories of, you know, all of these stories about removing statues. Like, there's also a lake in Kensington Gardens, which is dedicated to Princess Diana of Wales. Like, so much of what is the UK or England is colonial, like, whether you like it or not. Um, Either it's connected to royalty or it's um related to um, history. And history is, unfortunately in in indisputably institutionally racist and empirical so it just made me wonder sometimes when i'm walking the street in england like how many things are in existence because of you know the oppression of black people and i could not imagine how long that list is i'm sure everything has a li- link to an oppression of african peoples in this country just because And when I say African, I mean African-descended people. So, of course, Afro-Caribbean, Afro-American, Afro-European, like any Afro-descended people. Um, So I'm just super conscious of that. But, again, I really, really, really enjoyed this gallery and theatre exhibition, and I'm looking forward to going to another soon. So, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. And um, I can't wait to speak to you later about some other topic of interest. Um, take care and see you soon.